everybody. Um, you guessed it. It's Thursday. Thursday evening. I'm just leaving Abrams. Um, Harriet and I had a, a day of stitchery. Um, we helped our friend Dan Donigan um, develop a uh, a garment like a, a garment I'm gonna go ahead and say has never existed before and that's something you really you can rarely say I guess you know most of the things that we make are kind of new but they they generally exist in some other form a familiar form or something similar to something else but I don't know if I should say what it is. Um, I'm not. Oh, okay. That minivan was very mad at a cyclist on a city bike. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to tell you what this garment is, but it is a hybrid of two garments that have married together into something that I was dubious of initially because I got a text message from Dan describing the premise of this garment and I thought that is absolutely crazy and is going to look terrible and function poorly. But I said, well, why don't you come into studio and we can discuss it and, you know, talk about the materiality of a garment like that. And I was essentially planning to explain to Dan why it wasn't going to work, but I just needed it to be in real life because I couldn't have a conversation like that over text. But in the course of the conversation and with Harriet there, Harriet was very optimistic. And I thought, okay, if she believes, I'll believe. And Dan certainly believed. And so yesterday, I think it was yesterday, we made a sample of this garment using Dan's measurements and using Dan as a fit model. He stayed through the finish, even through um, some sewing machine turmoil. We had, um, we had a very important thread come unthreaded on our four thread industrial serger. And, um, it's never any, it's not a small feat to get, to get a industrial serger re-threaded. So with the help of two tweezers and Harriet's good eyes, we got the serger re-threaded and then we were back on track and we made this garment and then it was so cute, so cute. And so today Dan came back in in the morning after I had been through the garment district looking for golden ribbons for something that's probably coming in the future for uh, a commission from another friend. Um, got back to the studio and Dan came and we finessed the pattern. We did um, a fitting to kind of nuance the shape of this garment and adjusted the pattern and made another sample and it was it's just so great it's a tremendous thing and i believe dan is going to be wearing it this weekend so keep your eye out 
on Dan Donegan's Instagram, which is Milk the Drag Queen's Instagram. I don't know their handle, but go to Milk the Drag Queen's Instagram over the weekend and you may see the debut of this sort of genius, somewhat comic, very sexy garment. Um, There's something I was going to tell you before I began that overly long story about making the thing. Uh, Oh, I know. I had just listened to the latest voice memos from Bobby. And for those of you who don't know or new to listening to this podcast, my friend Bobby Briscoe um, leaves me voice memos via Facebook Messenger, uh, which is at this point archaic and defunct. Uh, I mean, with the exception of a few international friends that I have who continue communicating <clears throat> with me on Facebook Messenger. Look, I'm not against it. I, I would still have my Hotmail account <clears throat> were it not for Harriet, who was embarrassed that I had a Hotmail account when we were in college at FIT. So Bobby called and he, one of the voice memos, which I was from some time ago, I hadn't heard it, was just basically saying that um, he loves the podcast and that he likes me. And I, I need that. I need affirmation. Wow. That was a big bus. Um, And then the next voice memo was basically saying, I, I, I need to talk with you and Harriet regarding uh, some design decisions he's making for a production in Germany. And, but in regard to last week's superhero podcast, I got a very enthusiastic voice memo from Bobby. Um, and not enthusiastic for... Um, um, in the positive way. He was... He was, he couldn't believe that we had left out Storm from our list of the best superheroes. And he's right. And it is a crime that Storm was not included in that list. But I'm here to say today that Storm matters. Storm is weather. Storm is ferocious. Storm is able to have an accent and not have an accent if if acted by Halle Berry in subsequent films. So storm, storm sh- storms change. They shift, they come upon us, as we all know. In fact, I'm fairly certain there's about to be a storm here in Manhattan. The sky is looking very, very ominous. Um, I also wanted to, I'll tell you a story. Bobby will like this. This will be in regard to Bobby and why I know Bobby. And I think you, some of you at least, will know or remember because Bobby has his own episode of Dance and Stuff that I believe Jack and I recorded last summer. But Bobby and I met under very strange circumstances. I used to do a freelance ballet dancer job in Los Angeles, California. And I think this started, this started the summer 
that I left Ballet Met, which would have been 2004. So in 2004, my friend Laurel said, you know, I did this job last year with this choreographer in Los Angeles and Brett and I, Brett, her colleague from Lines Ballet, where they were dancing at the time, went to Los Angeles and they danced for this person named Rayford Rogers. And they had a great time. Um, they met really fun people like our friend Veronica, who we love and cherish, and John Funk, and which is a real name, which is a real person. And so Laurel said, I could get you a job with Rayford because it's all by recommendation. I said, oh my God, what a great joy it would be to dance with my friends, Laurel and Brett for the summer. Dreams come true. Shortly before um, this job was to begin, Laurel said, look, I did get you a job with Rayford Rogers Modern Dance, but I'm going to go ahead and give you the bad news, which is that I, I won't be there. So no Laurel, no Brett, me. And I recruited a young woman who was new to Ballet Met the, that year, I believe. Or maybe, no, no, no. I think maybe I danced with, with her for two years. Jamie Brianti. And Jamie came with me as the Laurel and I as the Brett. One can only assume. And we were housed in... Um, in a kind of like weird, weird, but nice, well-appointed old apartment in a very Los Angeles apartment complex in Santa Monica. And in Santa Monica, um, I think we had wall to wall carpet. And when you walked out, it was very sort of like Gothic spooky Los Angeles with, um, I, I actually, like, I'm at a loss for words to describe um, the aesthetic universe of this this manor where we lived. I wish I could remember the name of it. It had, it had quite the name. And um, we stayed there for, we would stay for six weeks. This did end up becoming a job I did for subsequent summers because it was not hard and it was with fun people and I got paid uh, during my layoffs, which was so ideal. So I believe it was in my second summer doing Rayford Rogers Modern Ballet, Bobby Briscoe. Bobby Briscoe joined us and what a pleasure. Bobby brought so much joy and energy into the studio on most days. And on occasional days, Bobby brought in, again, here we go, storm clouds, um, which I honor because we all have our, 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 our dips. And um, living with Bobby was pure joy. He always had some wild story certainly one of the hornier people I've ever met. So he brought a lot of sex positivity into the house, which was good because, you know, as me, as a young person, I was very dubious of any kind of sex, any kind of language around sex, anything like that. But Bobby was 
very like we we need to live our lives we're in our we're in our early to mid 20s and it's time to have fun at any rate um the dances that we were dancing were devised by a person with no no background in dance on um post-it notes uh, placed in grids in spiral bound notebooks um, and the post-it notes were shapes of they were stick figures human bodies in various geometric forms almost like how Cunningham used um, life forms on the computer to make a dance but you know without any with no context and no background and no history in dance so imagine that um, it was a lot of um, promenades and arabesque and we did it, and um, I don't know if we did it well. I think it was fine, it was fine. A lot of people had their legs really high up in the air. That seemed to be one of Rayford's fetishes. Um, there was a lot of balancing on Demi Point. Not, I didn't do it. I, I was definitely not responsible for balancing on Demi Point. I think I was more responsible for, for, let's see pointing out when I didn't want to be there, refusing to wear certain costumes. Um, but generally, generally doing my job, I didn't, I didn't create any huge problems. I think generally Rayford was fond of me. Um, he kept asking me back after all. Um, and you know, it was fun because you could invite your friends in. And so the whole thing ended up being like, friends and friends of friends and um that first summer jamie from ballet met and jimmy arante from ballet met were there and uh it's a real family affair and i fell in love with veronica fell in love with john funk um one summer seth belliston came to dance with us which was uh absolutely psychotic for me because seth had been a principal dancer at Pacific Northwest Ballet when I was a professional division student there. So this was a person who I really looked up to, looked up to. And um, this is a person who I had made gifts for as a young dancer to thank him for inspiring me. And then suddenly we were colleagues in uh, the most peculiar of situations. And um, that was fun. And I got to know him in a different way. And I, I know him to this day. And when I do see Seth, who's out in California, we have a very loving exchange. Um, so anyways, all this to say, I'm just giving some story time context for Bobby Briscoe. And Bobby, I know you're listening. You're, you're a listener that I can rely on, just as I rely on Barbara P. Fink, who sent an email, a lovely email this week, encouraging me to carry on, carry on, and um, sending condolences about my hunched face, which has been, that has been nice this week, that people have reached out to say that they're shocked and appalled, that I was punched in the face, and I've had a few people saying, you know, are you, are you seeking retribution? Are you going to find this person? I said, absolutely not. 
um, I can only imagine the complications that that would bring into my life. Um, so no, these things do happen. I'm fine and well. Um, so no worries. It's all fine now. I, I, my yellowing bruise is, is subsiding very slowly. The bruise came slowly and is leaving slowly. Um, there's a storefront right here <laughs> that I'm assuming at one point what said Bonobos on the, on the glass, but now it just says, Oh, Obos. Oh, space Obos. You know, when I was in the Alberta Ballet, the director, Jean Grandmaitre, the Grandmaster, and boy, did he think he was that. He made a dance. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Well, he made many dances. I won't speak of them. But he, um, he asked me one year to make a dance. We, were, we had been put out of our normal performing place, which was uh, the, Jubilee, the Jubilee Auditorium. And the Jubilee Auditorium was the theater that existed in both Edmonton, the capital of Alberta, and Calgary, the city where the ballet company was located. And all of our repertoire programs would be performed at both the Edmonton Jubilee and the Calgary Jubilee. They are identical theaters, which can be very disorienting for dancers, weary dancers leaving the theater, thinking, where even am I? Am I going home or am I going to the hotel? Um, but one year we were, we were out of those theaters, they were being renovated and he asked if I would like to make a dance. And I said, why? He said, well, because I think you're weird and I feel as if you have something to offer choreographically. And I said, I'll do, I'll give it a try. Now, he did not know this at the time, but I had in fact won choreographic award when I was in Columbus, Ohio. I participated in a competition in the county where Columbus is, which was uh, predominantly um, per participated in by dancers from Ballet Met and dancers from OSU, Ohio State University. And um, I believe three of us won prizes. And um, I'd made a, a a very sweet little dance to a section from a Haydn string quartet. I don't know what it was called. We were wearing yellow and green clothes, which were bad. And um, I danced in it with my friends at Ballet Met with Daryl and Angela and Tracy and someone else. I'm really, really sorry to whoever that is who I'm not remembering right at this moment. Hmm. It was a woman. Was it Adrena? Adrena, was it you? At any rate, I won $2,500 and I thought, I've won the lottery. Never in my life had I been handed that much money all at once. Because, you know, we have to contextualize. It was the year 2004. I was paying approximately $375 for my lovely studio apartment in Columbus. I don't know how much I was being paid as a company dancer of Ballet Met Columbus, but I have to assume it was somewhere around $600 a week, $600 a week, uh, which actually sounds not so bad right about now. 
Harry and I have recently realized, and this will be a whole other episode, but Harry and I have recently come to the realization that um, with our with unemployment, being able to collect unemployment this year as freelancers during weeks when we don't work, um, and to be able to collect pandemic assistance money um, has really, really kept us afloat in a way that is probably more comfortable and reliable than um, the work we actually do. So if that gives you any idea of the state of of being a costume designer in America. At any rate, I, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this conversation right now. I'm getting a little bit lost because I have a bunch of things I want to talk about, but I also read an article today. I read it out loud in studio because our friend Michelle Mola sent it to me saying she thought I might be interested in it. And indeed... I found it very interesting, interesting enough to read it out loud to Harriet. And um, the article was about this woman who is the costume designer of the new Cruella movie for Disney. And I knew of costume designers in film that there was no um, history of costume designers and other um, art people, art production people on movies collecting royalties. So while the producers and the director and all the actors and others do collect residuals and royalties from the life of the movie beyond the premiere, etc., the people who um, make the sets and costumes, etc., that does not happen. So this article was about how... Um, this particular designer had been alerted to the fact that her designs were being used for um, capsule collections with Rag and Bone, Rag and Bone via Cruella the Movie Collection, as well as I'm going to go, I think, for like product, or maybe that was about, there's other uh, costume designers in film whose costumes have been turned into direct replicas on dolls, etc. And those costume designers are not consulted, nor do they receive any compensation or credit for these um, thefts. So, again, no, it does not come as a surprise in a field that is so predominantly um, done by women. Costume design is famously women's work, and costume designers are famously mistreated um, in the hierarchy of creative jobs. So, anyways, the more we say it and the more attention we bring to it, perhaps there will be some shifts. But all this to say, we are still very lucky to do something like this and be paid to do it. And uh, blah, blah, blah. So how did I even get here? The article costume design Bobby Briscoe Rayford Rogers oh ballet met oh I made a dance I got a grant or a award and then I made another dance I made another dance when I was in Calgary and that dance was called violins and oboes and it was to the entire Bach concerto for violin and oboe <clears throat> now do, do I think it's a good dance? Um, I think it's an okay dance, actually. There's some parts in it that are 
totally mortifying, completely embarrassing, would have to be edited away. But I think there's quite a bit there, salvageable as a dance. Um, it was very, very much like a la Mark Morris in terms of making a dance visualization of the score, a kind of dance fantasia of the score itself. I kept the score very close at hand and followed it along as I made this dance. I also costumed the work very badly. Um, it was in um, a kind of pale blue and a very pale green. And so the violins were one and the oboes were the other. And it was these skirts made of a, uh, they dyed the fabric for me in the costume shop and they cut and built these skirts, elastic waist sk gourd skirts, meaning made of flared panels. Um, out of a fabric I found at Joanne's Fabric. And uh, then I found various white cotton blouses at the mall, t-shirts in various shapes, and had those dyed to match. It was um, humble, humble beginnings to my career as designer and choreographer, and truly the end of my career as choreographer, with the exception of This Is White Dresses from the opening of our Guggenheim show in 2018. Now. Speaking of Reed and Harriet shows, I watched our 2015 performance of a piece that has been called a few things, but um, I think right now we're calling it Fashion Show. And it was a commission from the Museum of Art and Design in Columbus Circle. Thank you, Jake Usna, for that. As part of a series of commissions for um, object designers of various sorts and and it was the inquiry was what is it that designers would make as performance and we were caught we are costume designers I, maybe a jewelry designer activated the space i'm not sure but the deal was that we were given <clears throat> two evenings as performances in this beautiful space i think on the fifth floor of the building overlooking Columbus Circle with those floor-to-ceiling picture windows and we were also responsible for using one of their like open-air studios for a day um, as part of sort of community cultivation and people could come in and ask questions about what we were doing. We were in fact making a series of a dozen white dresses all of different fabrics to illustrate the very different movement dynamics of textiles. And we used silk chiffon and silk habutai. We used a weird faux fur. We used neoprene. We used a neoprene net. We used tulle. We used fringe. We used um, polyester organza. We used jersey. We used a fake duchess satin. At the time, we couldn't really afford to break the bank on um, on exquisite fabrics because I do believe our entire commission budget was $500. And that was to make the whole thing, pay ourselves, pay our collaborators. So, you know, at the end of the day, we each made um, maybe enough to cover lunch. And um, anyways, uh, it was, it is, 
an amazing show. All this to say, it is an amazing show. And it, it was wonderful now, six years later, to watch this show um, and think about Baby Reed and Harriet making that show. And, you know, we, we solicited help from our friend Kristen Miles, who modeled the dresses so beautifully in a salon-style fashion show, and then Jack Ferver for doing the nearly impossible task of then activating the dresses through a kind of stand-up comedy routine, or at, some, at times more of a performance theater routine, where he had index cards that I wrote notes about the dresses themselves, including fiber material, uh, sorry, fiber information, and um, a few, I jotted down a few bullet points for him to think about in these um, sort of improvised monologues. And um, to watch Jack, I mean, it's truly, I'm going to put the phone down for one second because I need to take off my little rain jacket and it, it's the kind that goes over your head which is impractical design but sort of chic jack gave me this jacket because it's navy blue and as you know he doesn't he doesn't wear navy blue it's only black it's only black and occasionally black with like a rainbow glitter um, yarn running through it or something like that okay i know there has been some discussion with jack about shifting into color or moving into ivory or something like that. I can't remember. Oh, it's nice to be home. It's very, very muggy outside. Um, my windows are open, which is good. And I have sweat running down my cleavage. Um, okay, anyways, what was I talking about? Can you help me? I was talking about... Oh, this is white dresses. Oh, no, because at that time it was called Fashion Show. So... I watched the piece and um, I'm so proud that we made that dance and it really came together. And my, those dresses are beautiful. They're so beautiful. And they, they made a reappearance in 2018's Works and Process show at the Guggenheim. And I made a little introductory improvised game for the cast to kind of just be looked at before the, the bulk of the show began. And... I didn't have a name for it. They kept asking me, what's the title of that dance? And I said, well, I haven't really even, by the time they were asking me for the title, I hadn't really even made it. I mean, we made it probably the day before during, during a tech rehearsal. And it really was just a game. I, I, I think I taught them like, um, very, very, very short partnered phrases. And you would instigate each of those short dances by, by, gesturing to another person um, in a specific way. And I think there was a few different choices you could make, but we generally, we wandered through the space. And then when we would come to another person, then you would gesture to and you would do a short dance. But at any rate, the stage management on the show uh, was, was doing, um, we were going through lighting cues. And when they got to that part, she said, do we have a name for this dance? I said, well, no. And she, she said, well, okay, so this is white dresses. She was calling out to, um, uh, I guess, lighting technician. And, um, and that was that. That became the title of the dance. I think 
as a group, we said, oh, wouldn't that be funny? And then I just said, well, that's it. So we said, uh, the name of the dance is This is White Dresses. And that's how art is made. Um, what has happened this week in television? I watched the latest episode of Hacks. I do still like it. I watched Olive Special. I have mixed feelings about that show because I am somehow attached to the characters. And yet I think there are aspects of that show that feel really poorly written and also poorly acted at times. It's like a little bit too, too something, too something. I'm not sure what, but there are, there are aspects of it that I like very much. And I am rooting for all the people on that show. Um, all the characters. So special. Did I watch a film? Not that I can recall. I certainly watched uh, whatever offering Claire had and whatever offering Alison Roman had, which was some strawberry biscuity baked thing. Um, they each release very good content cooking wise each week. Now, I'm curious if any of you know what's happened with Lizzie Chi because she used to be releasing these kind of 20 minute videos about the life of potato or the life of um, carrot or, you know, various, various things, life of wheat. And, um, that seems to have stopped. I did watch one recently. God, she does some crazy things where she like, what did she do? She definitely made a garment of some kind. Oh, I know. I think it was an older video, but she took silk and then she took some cherry blossoms and she copied them by drawing like hundreds of little petals on the silk and cutting each one out individually with scissors. And then she shaped each of those petals using some metal implements with curves. And then she made vegetable dyes from beets and some greenery. And she ombre painted each of these little white petals and then she wired them together into perfect little silk flowers. And she made herself a strange crown to do some kind of ceremony with her grandmother, who she dressed up as a devil. And I'm not talking like, I mean, she looked like a team mascot. Like she had thick stuffed devil horns. Anyways, I don't know what to say about it. Then I saw Lizzie Chi do a one minute video where she basically said, I want you to I want you to know that there are people copying me and there are people saying and posting my videos and saying that they're from a different nation. But I'm Chinese. My content is Chinese and I make videos in China. And I was like, whoa, she must have gotten a very intense phone call from the Chinese government. That's my that's my um, theory on that. Um, gosh, uh, it's been 35 minutes. I don't know that I should bore you with anything else. Um, at some point, Harriet and I are going to try to post the video of fashion show from Museum of Art and Design for everybody to watch and 
Um, we're not sure about like whether it should be monetized. Um, we would, we would benefit from it being monetized, but I realize it is hard to pay to watch dance shows, um, on your computer though. It's, it's not a dance show. It's a really excellent 35 to 40 minute performance. Um, so I don't know if you have any ideas about how to post videos and monetize them and you want to help us, let us know. And, and in a way that people would actually want to watch it. Uh, is anything interesting happening in your life? Is anything interesting on um, Instagram? I don't go on TikTok. Dan, Dan talked to me a little bit about TikTok today and I was just like, I'm not interested. And, you know, I'm in a group text with Maggie Cloud and Stuart Singer, and I love them both. And I love being in a group text with them, but they both love TikTok. And I know that they have their own TikTok conversation going and they send things to one another, but I feel very alienated by that. I don't understand TikTok and I, I'm not going to do it. There's too many things and I've already wasted so much time in my life not being productive, though I did finally, it seems I finished my portfolio document for um, college for my MFA, which was seemingly insurmountable. I did think I would never get to the end of it um, with all the photo credits and page numbering and formatting and choosing of photographs and bolstering my CV with by figuring out all the things I've actually done. Have, have any of you people who are around 40 years old tried to do that? To really go back and say, what venues did I perform that piece in? Nobody knows. I had to go into my Hotmail account to look at emails from former company managers. I had to go to the bottom of the barrel of my Tupperwares full of programs and I had to look through um, those laminated access cards that you receive on lanyards when you go to a festival to figure out dates and where I went. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's all very interesting and it's been a real trip down memory lane. And I, I even turned on an old external hard drive and started going through pictures from um, a decade, 12 years ago, etc., Man, we were young. I got to see James Healy this week, speaking of the olden days. James was a colleague of mine at um, Shenway Dance Arts. And James refused to come on the podcast last week, but we did have lunch. And we did go on a trip down memory lane regarding our time at Shenway. Now, James was, was one of the originals, meaning he had been there from the time that Shenwei made a dance at the American Dance Festival. And this is this is an incredible story. So I'll take a little bit of time with that. Shenwei, in I believe 2000 or 2001, was a guest, an international guest at the American Dance Festival and was tasked with making a dance on the students. Now, Shenwei had already made his famous piece Folding on the Guangdong Modern Dance Company in Guangzhou, China. And so he was on someone's radar, perhaps Charles Reinhardt, who was then the king of ADF. And 
So Shenwei was commissioned to make a dance and he made Near the Terrace, which became one of his more famous dances. And most of the dancers in that group who were students at ADF, he sat them at a table one day. I, I think, I don't know if the piece had premiered yet. I don't think, I don't know if Shenwei understood that he would be having great success in his future, but he somehow had faith And he sat this group of eight to 10 dancers down and he said, I am going to move to New York in the fall and I'm going to continue making dances. And I would like all of you to join me in New York. And I cannot promise you anything. I will not be able to pay you, which means that if you choose to do this with me, we'll have to seek out alternative employment, but we will work odd hours in order to accommodate whatever nannying, figure modeling, waitering you choose to do. And all of them went, all of these students took a leap of faith and moved to New York. And many of those people stayed with Shenwei for a very, very long time as he kind of skyrocketed to fame very quickly through um, the creation of Rite of Spring and Connect Transfer and uh, various other works that um, made him one of the darlings of the new modern dance universe in the early 2000s. So anyways, that was my story about the origins of Shen Wei. Um, I did not come into the picture until 2007 um, and was only involved in kind of one and a half creations with Shenwei. Um, but at any rate, it was lovely to see James and really, really funny to talk about the very tiring and hysterical experiences that we had while dancing with Shenwei. And I found some old pictures of us schlepping suitcases in ancient train stations in Eastern Europe. Um, Very much like photos you would see of people in Ballet Caravan or Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo in the olden days, traveling by steamliner across the United States, wearing their finest wool garments for travel and um, trying to be their most... Um, what am I trying to say? Not for maybe formal expressions of, but, but dressed up in glamorous expressions of performers, a thing that we, that we, that we do the exact opposite of nowadays by wearing our pajamas on airplanes and, and um, looking totally unkempt for long days of travel. Let's see what time it is now. It's been 43 minutes and I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I don't know yet what I'll be having for dinner. Um, it was a long day at studio. Parker, um, we thought Parker ate a pin yesterday and fully swallowed it. And so Harriet took her to the emergency room and they x-rayed her. And they did not find a pin. They did not find a pin, but they did find other detritus, debris, etc. They said, what do you think this is? 
And Harriet said, oh, you know, gravel or dust, what have you. Anyways, uh, there's not going to be a, a guest this week, nor will there be um, a supplemental conversation. But I hope you keep tuning in. Um, I hear from other podcasts that it's useful if you leave iTunes reviews, even if it's just as much as saying, I like it, or good, or I hate it. And I know a lot of other podcasts wouldn't want you to leave a bad review. I do think it's not good for you to leave me less than five stars. So don't even bother with stars unless you're going to leave five stars. Um, and I only say this because other podcasts say it. And I know that I have a, a loyal, a small but loyal following on this podcast. Um, and the real question is, am I... Am I trying to expand, expand that following? And I don't know. Maybe this is enough. And maybe these are the people that we want to be with and spend time with every week. Um, hello to my friends in Australia. I miss you very much. Callum, it was lovely talking to you on the phone, on FaceTime. My God, it's good to see faces sometimes when they're so, so, so very far away. Um, I hope you're good. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're sleeping. Uh, good night and good luck. I didn't sing the song. I'll sing the song. I'm going to sing the song now. Okay. This will be a lullaby. Cause I know all of you are listening to this to go to bed. <clears throat> What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? Okay. Uh, bye.